Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MLFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 23rd through the 25th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 plus high level apartment investors and also to network with over 700 investors. If that's not enough for you, Shaq, yes, Shaquille O'Neal, Barbara Cochran, and Jocko Willink will be live and in-person speaking at this event. Be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event as the tickets are going fast. You can even upgrade your ticket to the VIP to have the opportunity to rub shoulders with these high-level speakers, including myself, after their session. Jocko Willink will also be attending the VIP party on Friday night at the event. So go to mfincon.com to find out more details. There's also sponsorship opportunities available too. For details for this event and to purchase tickets, visit mfincon.com. Use promo code LIFEBRIDGE to get $200 off your tickets. That's mfincon.com. This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Jacob Cohen. Thanks for being on the show, Jacob. You're welcome. Good morning. Jacob, give the listeners a little more about who you are and exactly you know what you're doing right now. Sure. So I started off at a company called Deerwood Real Estate Capital as an analyst underwriting deals for some of the more senior folks here. And ultimately, as uh, you know, a couple of years in, realized where the money was at. It's always on the front end of a company, not on the back end. So I kind of put my MBA to the side and said, let's focus on the cash side of the business and became a producer. I'm a vice president at Walker and Dunlop. We are you know, one of the top lenders in the country for multifamily properties, as well as other asset classes. Uh, the company's publicly traded, and we have about 700 employees across the country. There's different, I guess, jobs for each person at Walker and Dunlop. Mine as a producer is to find investors who are looking to pair up with good capital. So we're focused on finding the best capital in the, in the country for your deal. Now, that will involve various aspects. There is a big sales side to it, finding the owners. But I would say a more important part of the job is actually underwriting the deal, understanding it, selling it to the banks, and then working your way through to a smooth and great closing. Okay. So there's a lot of things there we need to, we, I want us to be able to cover. So you talked about finding the best capital for your deal. That's your, your job, right? You're going to help us find the best capital for our deal. And, you know, tell me, you know, like, when do we contact somebody like you through this process of buying this multifamily property? When am I going to, when should I connect with somebody like yourself? So it's a good question. I would say it's as you're either starting the business or you're already in the business and you want to understand different capital types that you can use for your property, you may want to talk to someone like me or there are many of us across the country to understand the capital that's available today. Just as an example, Freddie Mac is pretty much out of the business today for commercial multifamily properties. So you may want to talk to someone like someone at a company, let's just say, to say, hey, is Fannie Mae lending today? And if it's not Fannie Mae, who is it? So there are aspects to who's lending today and who's hot in which markets. You know, I, you're from Kentucky, Whitney, so close a deal in Louisville. And at the time, Freddie was 
saying, let's underwrite the deal to 70% loan to value and only a 135 DSCR, whereas Fannie was willing to go up to 80% and a 125 DSCR, which was able to improve, of course, on the loan amount. Separately, besides for Fannie and Freddie, there are many other lenders out there. There's life companies, there are banks, and we want to understand, are you a syndicator? Are you investing your own family capital? Are you willing to sign recourse? How long of a term do you want? And then aside from called permanent loans, there's a whole other side to the business of bridge loans, where you may want to buy a property and it's a value-add deal and you want to get a bridge loan. On the bridge loan side, it's always a question of, you know, do you want to sign recourse? Are you looking for the highest loan possible for your deal? And then, of course, our job would say, if you're looking for the highest loan possible, we want to match you up with the best rate as well. So the loan is such an important piece of buying a large multifamily property, right? The type of debt that you get. I mean, I mean, it can make or break the deal, right? I mean, in so many aspects of the type of loan or the, the terms and things like that. But I wanted to back up just a little bit. So, you know, you're a mortgage broker, you're finding that debt, you're helping somebody like myself find the correct debt or the best debt for our type of property that we're trying to pursue or to purchase. And so when do we need a mortgage broker or, you know, as opposed to not using a mortgage broker? So back to the first question, I just wanted to finish that was, as far as when you come to somebody like us, you know, you talk to someone in the market, we're kind of, we're there to help you as a consultant. But when we go out to market with a deal, we typically want the sponsor or the investor to be in contract and to have an LOI out, or maybe even more than an LOI, have a purchase and sale agreement already done. So when we go out to our lenders and they're bidding on this deal, they know that if they bid and they have the right price and the right rate, they will win the deal. And they're not just waiting to see if the sponsor still is going to get the deal. So you'd like for us to be have an LOI out at least, but really I'd like to be in communication with you before that so I can understand how to better underwrite, right? I mean, so that way I know about what kind of debt I'm going to be able to get, the terms, the length, you know, all those things, interest rates. Could you elaborate a little bit on like how, you know, you you talked about underwriting and then selling it to the banks and, you know, working your way through this process. And so how does different types of debt affect our underwriting? The easy answer to that is, are you going for a bridge loan or a permanent loan? A bridge loan, in many cases, will not give a strong return to investors because you're borrowing 85% of cost, but you're throwing into there a big portion of capital expenditure where you're going to renovate the property. In addition, sometimes you're buying a deal where there's only a 1-0 cover or even a negative debt service coverage ratio, at which point we'll put up an interest reserve and we'll have money there, but the investors are in there for the long run. They want to be in there for two or three years and try to really add value to the property so they can pull out some equity on the refinance. As far as stabilized loans where someone just wants to kind of beat the S&P and get a 7 to 10% return on his money, where it's more of a permanent loan, then you'd want to say, you know, what type of permanent loan are you looking for? Some folks are, especially family offices, where they're not so focused on the returns, but they're more focused on building building equity, building a, 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 you know, a financial statement. And in such a case, they have no problem with amortization. 25 years, 20 year, they'll do self-amortizing loans. Whereas most indicators, their focus is returning capital to their investors. And in such a case, we definitely want to push out to 30-year amortization. In addition to that, we want to push for IO, which means you will not be paying any principal payments during the first couple of years as long as we... You know, I just closed on a loan in Brick, New Jersey, where we got four years of IO. So he has four years of no principal payments, which he happens to have no investors in the deal, but he still gets a nice strong cash flow for the next four years. 
So say oh, interest only, just in case the listener doesn't know what that stands for. But four years of interest only. Tell me how how that could make or break a deal as far as when you're looking at two years of IO or interest only or three years or four years, you know, how long should we push that? So that's a great question because people ask us, you know, what do I underwrite? Do I underwrite two years or four years? And it really makes a big difference during two years or one year of IO would make a big difference to what investors will get back. Now, of course, it's all on the front end because anything when you're paying full principal payments. That's really cash that you should be getting, but instead it's going back to pay off the principal balance of the loan. But most investors, when they put money in the deal, they want to see a return. So every year of IO makes a huge difference. Every dollar we can get our clients makes a huge difference, which is why they hire us. And in many cases, a client will go out to his banks and say, Jacob, my bank has given me $17 million. What can you do? And also, you know, we did a deal where we got him $21 million after he came to us at the $17 million loan. And in some cases... We can't do better. And we'll say, you know what? You have a great deal from your bank. Uh, Most of those cases are for construction loans, though, I would say. Okay. So you went into bridge and permanent and, you know, now a little bit. Any other things as far as that's going, we should be thinking about as we're underwriting deals, you know, and and we're thinking about the types of debt, you know, even the the length of the debt, the amortization, 25 or 30, or even, you know, whether it's a 10-year permanent or five-year, you know, what else? You know, walk us through some other things that I better have in mind when I'm underwriting this property. Sure. So if you're risk averse and you're worried about the market, uh, you know, where rates are and where rates may be in three years, you may want to really push for a 10 or even 12-year loan to try to keep rates today are phenomenal. So you want to lock it in and get long-term debt, even though you know maybe you're going to lose out in five years of doing another cash-out refinance, but you'd rather have long-term conservative debt. Uh, and some folks are more focused on just refinancing as, as often as they can because every refinance is a return of capital that's tax-free and you know it's super helpful. So I guess it'll depend on, on your personal feelings of the market and your investors and what they're interested in this market. Do they want to park the capital long term or do they want to kind of cycle this into you know, many deals over the next couple of years? Our guest is Raul Patel. Thanks for being on the show, Raul. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. We're going to talk about different types of lenders and how lenders are not all the same and, and what to look for when selecting a lender. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing you know about your experience in that. But get us started and like, you know, why is this topic important and, and, you know, thinking about lenders and obviously, I mean, the lending portion is such an important part of this business. And so, you know, looking forward to hearing your take on it, but get us started. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on again. I guess uh, for the last couple, you haven't kicked me off. So I appreciate you having me back on here, but yeah, this is important. I know, you know, we've had a few podcasts, you know, we've always, we focus on structuring, we focus on, you know, how to bring in the equity. Um, the equity is an important component, but now we really got to figure out Who's going to come in with the lion's share of this? And it's typically the debt, right? And so for most deals we see, there is usually a pretty strong debt component, about anywhere from 75% you know, to about 50% of the project usually comes in with some component of debt, right? And so that's what we're talking about. You've got your lender, right? You've got somebody who's lending you the rest of the money, and they're not in it for the ride with you. They're in it for loaning you the money to get a guaranteed return on an interest rate from, from them. And they have an asset that is their, their collateral to some extent. So, you know, they're not all the same. There's many, many forms. And what I would say is one of the things that we kind of really focus on, and I see what folks really, they look at, they look at, when they look at a lender, they look at a few things. One, they look at what's the interest rate they're charging them. Two, how long of a term or what kinds of term are they giving them? And how much money are they giving them? Right. And when they get past those three thresholds, oftentimes they're viewed now in the same bucket. Right. They're all about the same. 
which isn't really the case, right? So they, somebody, a, one lender offers you $2 million at a 5% interest rate for 20 years, fixed, same thing with the other. They're not the same, right? There's lots of things that go into it. So, you know, to kind of look at that, you say there, that's kind of the component that I would say getting past the first three big steps of saying, what are the terms now? What or who is lending you the money? So typically, you know, I look at this and say there's three or four main areas that people are getting money from right now in the multifamily space. So conventional. Conventional lending is what most people know about, right? They have a Chase bank account. They have a Wells Fargo bank account. Whatever big bank that they bank with, they might assume that that's where they go to the first time, right? And so the oh, I would say conventional, you've got your big banks and then you've got your Texas home bank, right? Your local bank that anybody can go and strike a relationship with. Those are your two types of primary sources when we talk about conventional lending, right? So when we have those forms, what I find is it, depending on the project size, that may direct where you're going to go. Your smaller local banks have lending thresholds in which you can go with. So I would say in the smaller projects, you know, $10 million or less, you know, your smaller banks or a lot of times local banks are really good options for folks to start with. They usually have bank accounts there. There are some requirements to maybe have a bank account with them. But again, a good source because they know your neighborhood, they know your market, they know what you're doing, and they have a real strong relationship with you. So that's a good source to start with from that aspect. So, you know, you got your, I would just kind of break them down real quick and then we can, I guess you can dive into one, but yeah, conventional, a lot of folks then are looking at private equity, right? There's a lot of now funds that have kind of pulled together, whether it's 50 million, hundred million, 200 million, up to a billion dollar funds that are specifically focused on lending for real estate assets. So those are, that's a whole different kind of monster in and of itself, but that's again, another area that people are going to. And then kind of what I would say, you know, even within that, there's capital, kind of different capital and banks that are kind of associated in and out of that private equity realm. And then I would say the last one that's kind of a subset of that is like your family offices, right? So your offices, your local family offices that have good family investments and pools of money that are coming in to have this type of structure versus saying, hey, I want the upside I want to have, I want to give you the debt, keep the deed in my name, have an asset that guarantees a certain kind of return. So a lot of times you have trust, you have different assets that are looking for some sort of asset maintenance, but then some sort of residual income. So that's another area that we can look at. But those are kind of, I would say, your three kind of areas that you're going at besides the government financing loans, right? So like big banks versus like your small local bank or credit union, something like that. Can you give us maybe an example of why, you know, you would go to one or the other and maybe even, you know, how our, our experience or our track record or the, even the type of property might change that? You know, typically what I would say, you know, number one, the size of the project, right? If you've got a $50 million project, typically your smaller banks are, they're beyond their threshold, right? So mm-hmm. they've, they've got a right. partner, they've got to bring in other banks. So they're kind of past your threshold. So number one, you know, depending on the size of the project, your local bank and their, their threshold will tell you what their lending limits are, right? You know, my advice typically to many of the folks that are listening to this, start with your local banks if you can. If they're within your threshold, start there. There's a lot of things that you can work through in the gray areas, right? Whether you've had, you're new to the, the market, you've had a hiccup somewhere along the line in your credit rating, you had a project that may not have gone so well or whatnot, or you're just, you're just a little bit new to this in general, 
You know, your local banks really are, are great options. They're looking for good buckets of, of real estate that they can always lend on to keep in their portfolio. And they typically keep their paper too, right? So they will stay and remain the lender in the deal versus trading that piece of paper off. So when you're having an issue or you're going back and saying, hey, you want to do a bunch of property improvements, you've had a great two-year run, but you haven't had enough cash flow to do all those reserves on your own, your bank might be the first one to come and say, yes, we'll be happy to lend you that because we can see what you've done. We can see that this value add asset is going to come back. So, you know, really looking at that, I would say, you know, what determines that, you know, for us, for example, we built this office building. It's a 25,000 square foot office building. I went to a local bank, struck up a relationship and over coffee and lunch, we said, he said, yeah, I'd love to do the project. And from there, we were able to really work through the little pieces that they needed to make sure it was fine-tuned enough. But once he said, hey, we like this project, they were in, right? So I didn't have to go and worry about some big New York office telling me this isn't going to happen. I knew the folks that were there. I knew what was going to go. And so that's a good option for us, right? How did you go about building that relationship with the bank like you're talking about? (laughs) That was actually ironic. I just walked in because my dad actually had an account there. I didn't even have an account there. My dad wanted me to go and sign in on a, on a registration card for his safe deposit box. He said, hey, something ever happens to me, I want you to be able to have access to it. So I said, hey, do you guys do commercial loans? And the guy said, yeah, let me, let me introduce you. And I struck up a conversation. And what's very interesting to me is we banked at that time. My law partner and I banked at a very big bank, okay? I mean, lots of offices all across San Antonio, convenience factor, ATMs, all that kind of stuff. And I would go in there a lot and ask them, the private banker would be there and say, how's it going? It's going great. That's awesome. I hear you guys are growing. Yes. Uh, we're looking for some money to build a building. She's like, oh, well, good luck. <laughs> Never once did she ask us to set us up with the department that would do that because that wasn't really her department. But yet the foresight from the big bank wasn't, it didn't matter. I went into a little bank and they right away knew what we needed. I was able to put together a very good package. We had never built an office building from beginning to end. Right. So what experience do we have? What building a six million dollar, seven million dollar project from ground up? Not. But we were able to really demonstrate the things that we needed. And then when the loan committee was looking at it, they didn't just look at us from a number and a ranking. They looked at us from as people and we were able to get approved. And the project was and has been very successful, not just for us, but for the bank itself. Right. So I think that in order to strike up a relationship, have a good idea of what you're looking to do. If you go in unprepared, don't know what you're going to talk about, and you're shooting from the hip, it could be a challenge. But if you've got some good idea generally of how you've got this organized, what kind of project, where your targets are, you will find local banks to be very receptive because they're looking for good people, and they're looking for good deposits, and they're looking for good projects to lend on. Nice. So going from that small bank to now, you know, obviously we're doing deals with agency debt or, you know, things like that, you know, lots of different types of debt than than local. When do you make that transition or when are you thinking, okay, like for this project, you know, $6 million or $7 million local bank like that versus, you know, non-recourse or versus, you know, different things like that? You know, sometimes it just, it just depends on where you are at in terms of your, you know, your deal flow, your complexity of where you are, what kinds of projects you're working on. Time. Sometimes time is of the essence too. You got to get things going. You got to go move quick. And so the advantage then again, all those types of agency, private equity, family offices, they have a lot of experience, right? So they've gone through, they know what to look for. They know what they're structuring. Many times they come in and structure the deal for you, 
They say, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do an SBE. You're going to put in this much debt. We're going to, this is the waterfall we expect. They basically run the show for you, which in some instances, especially if you're on your first, second or third deal, it might not be a bad idea because you're leaning on somebody who's got a strong level of experience. Now, of course, they're motivated to earn the most amount of money they can. But again, you're also getting a lot of expertise and advice from somebody who who knows what they're doing. So, you know, again, kind of what to look for. If you're going in that realm, then I would tell you, if you do not have a good, you know, I would say solid track record, haven't done deals before, or, or at least have good advice kind of coming down the pipeline, they may end up stealing the show from you, if that makes sense, for, for lack of a better word, right? They might steal that show from you. Now you're going to have to kind of pivot your deals flow with your investors differently than what you had assured them before. So you might have kind of, we talked a little bit about waterfalls and structures, I think in a previous podcast, but that might alter everything, right? It might really do it. So you're going to have to be prepared in that realm as well. So, you know, but I think good level of experience, and then that allows you to push back too and say, no, this is how we're structuring our term sheet. And you might be able to get multiple people to kind of be bidding on your debt versus, you know, the only girl that will go to dance with you. So, you know, what's going to make, you know, that lender, as far as the small lender, like you went to here or a local bank, what's going to make them stand out to you? I know in this case, you were in there and and somebody just struck up that conversation. You all got to talking. But what's going to make others stand out? I know they're not all the same. What do we need to be looking for when selecting that lender and what's going to make them stand out to you? You know, the first one I'm going to say is is very tough because you can't quantify it. But I would say gut feeling, right? You really feel good about sometimes some, what somebody says. Sometimes they're just saying what you want to hear. And sometimes they're, they're really saying what it is that you need to hear, right? And I think I always say the best decisions I've ever made have been on my gut. And the worst decisions sometimes were based on what a spreadsheet told me to do, right? So I would tell you gut feeling is really, really number one. And so in this particular instance, I just felt very comfortable with the speed at which they moved. They were a little bit slower, but they, they took their time. They really asked a lot of questions and they felt honest about what we were trying to do and what they were trying to ask for versus saying, here's a list of 10. Number two doesn't, what you gave me isn't number two. And it's like, well, we don't have number two. It's like, oh, okay. And so a lot of times they'll just get kicked back. Sorry, you don't have number two. You don't have number three. You need to have number two in this format. So the difference is when you say, oh, I get what you're doing. Can you maybe provide us something else that would be a backup? So you know, gut feeling, number one. Number two, I would say seek experience. So they're they're going to do their homework and due diligence on you. At the same time, you have the ability to do due diligence on them. You know, lots of things you can do. One, contact the Better Business Bureau. Find out there's what people have said about them. Number two, ask them for a list of previous references. I mean, if they can ask you for your credit references and things like that, you can, I would say, ask them. If they say, I don't have anybody, I don't need to share that, or I'm not going to give that information to you, then choose another one, right? And if nobody gives it to you, then nobody has it. But a lot of times they will be willing to share information with you or you can find deals that they have structured in the past. And sometimes a lot of of lenders just advertise it, right? They'll literally advertise it on their website, which project they financed and what they did. Contact that person. Hey, how's it been going? Looks like you've been with them for three years. Any issues? And so a lot of times just doing your own homework on their experience or what people have experienced about them is a very good indicator too, because this isn't a one year, six month due diligence marriage. You're going to be with them for a while. So there's lots of things that can happen. Occupancy trends, you know, Houston just got hit with Hurricane Harvey. 
a few years back. That was devastating for folks because many folks didn't have flood insurance, wasn't required. You could be, lots of things can happen, right? You could have road foreclosures in certain areas and it could affect your business. Uh, School could just shut down that, which was a premise of why people built an apartment complex by it. And then the school moved. So many things can happen, right? So you really want to have a good idea of how they react, right? Because we all, as humans, somebody's in charge of that decision, right? On the day, if you're making your payments and you're doing everything you need to do, then you may never get a call from anybody. But the time you need to have that knowledge is saying, okay, I got to call Whitney up and say, Whitney, I'm having an issue this year. And then it's a matter of you and how you make your decisions and what you do for me versus you know, what you're able. And sometimes you just may not be able to, but in many instances, those matter. So I would say go with your feeling, get some experience. And if you don't feel comfortable there, then really get enough homework on them and find out and see what, see what people are saying about them as a lender. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.